Okay. Uh, see, I don't see any. It's, in the, it's not moving. Is it the other one? Is it the other speaker? I thought that this was, it says number one, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, now you go. You got it on that test, one. Test one, two. It's working on that one. Okay. It'll work out. Yeah, it will. Okay. Okay. Boy, the, the blessing of being young and knowing technology a lot better than those of us that are over 40. <laughs> is that the line? No, 40 is not the line. All right, let's start by, uh, by quoting Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Ready? And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, the merciful. That's right, Carl. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And good. My bad. You know, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is talking about character qualities, not individual acts. So it's not that we do mourn or that we uh, do poverty or that we uh, are merciful. It's, it's a whole character in the likeness of Jesus that he wants to develop. And these are the foundations of the kingdom that the Lord is laying to his disciples. And when our will is totally surrendered to God's will, then and we're living out the Beatitudes, we're going to naturally find that the progression is we will make peace everywhere we go. But there's a big difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. A peacekeeper settles differences between opposing forces through compromise and also through concessions. We lived through that many years with the UN peacekeeping force, the years that I was in Israel between the buffer zone between Israel and Lebanon, and it was pretty much a joke. They were there only to keep peace. They never made peace. A peacemaker is very different. He reconciles two opposing forces through sacrifice, not through concession or through compromise. There's an element of sacrifice that comes in making peace. Jesus is our perfect peacemaker. He made and established peace for us to God and to man. How? Through his death. It cost him. There's sacrifice involved in establishing peace and making peace. Well, what prevents us from God's peace? 
First, I think that the hardest thing for us to do is to put others first above ourselves. We instinctively look out for ourselves continually without even noticing it. Self-preservation is our first instinct. There was an illustration that I saw in uh, National Geographic some time ago, and it just has never left me. Uh, in fact, I even tried to see if I could get it to be able to put a video. Of course, if it was hard enough to get the, speak, the microphone on, I can imagine what it would be like to get the video. But it was about two goats and uh, how they responded when they met each other on a very unusual circumstance. There was a narrow ridge on a high, uh, on, a, on a mountainside, and down below was a river that was raging, and it was a good distance to be able to get down. Well, the path was so narrow, there wasn't enough room for both of them to be able to pass. So they couldn't turn back, and they couldn't pass each other because of the lack of room on either side. And the goats somehow had an instinct that they couldn't butt each other or fight to try to win. But because that way they could easily both fall into the water. But it was so amazing to see that one goat lied down and got down so low that it allowed the other goat to walk on them to pass over to the other side. As a result, they both survived and arrived safely at their destination. But instead of being a doormat to be walked on, which was the literal what happened, there was a whole different thing that went through my mind. And rather than a doormat, that goat became a bridge to cross over, not a doormat to walk on. And I thought that was a great illustration of being a peacemaker, a willingness to go low, let someone go over, and have everyone arrive peacefully at the place of their destination. James 3.17 describes a peacemaker. I love this verse. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You know, this verse supports the sequence of Matthew 9, following uh, Matthew 5, verse 9, following verse 8. Our hearts have to be pure before we can ever become a peacemaker. So we must have peace with God before we can ever have peace with man, or even peace with ourselves. Peace with God is essential. And when we feel estranged from God, we're going to experience inner turmoil, which can easily manifest itself into easily irritated, Intense anxiety and even anger. So, some self-examination. If you are easily irritated or anxious easily or angry, maybe you should ask yourself, where am I not at peace? Or maybe even better, 
With whom am I not at peace? A lack of peace can also indicate a sense of guilt. If we cover our guilt without confessing it and receiving forgiveness, it will affect us emotionally. It will. And this is especially true for moral sins. Immorality must be specifically confessed and forgiven for the feelings of guilt to really be removed from our heart and conscience. Residues of guilt and shame, they reveal a defiled conscience, not a clear conscience. And friends, our consciences must be pure. They must be cleansed. They must become good. Guilt easily causes emotional responses such as nervousness, anxiety, depression, and low self-esteem. Our hearts harden when we refuse to deal with guilt or fully are in denial that I ever had any. Sometimes we stuff things down so far, they really do escape our memory. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to surface things the broken areas of our lives that can come into his healing process to find the wholeness that God really desires for us. Our hearts harden when we refuse to deal with guilt or shame. And a hardened heart leads to insensitivity to God. This is why we must be at peace with God and with ourselves before we can help others find peace. A guilty conscience sometimes even leads to mental illness. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. One of my favorite verses. I've loved this verse. It's been a real uh, flag in the mountain. As we ascend the mountain of the Lord, and as I've been ascending the mountain of the Lord, this has been a flag that it's always allowed me to look up. 1 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul says, Now the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. If the heart is not pure, and the conscience is not good, there can never be actual, genuine love. Because purity and faith, and a good conscience, they all go together as part of God's recipe for genuine love. And we cannot walk by faith if we do not have a clear conscience. 1 John 3, 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. But what if our heart does condemn us? I want to be vulnerable tonight. I want to share a time of brokenness that I had. As a believer in Jesus, my heart condemned me for just about two years. Believer, lover of Jesus, was in fellowship continually, but I lived in a defiled conscience. And yes, it did involve a girl. Very interesting. I was in 
our little church in Illinois, and she was striking when she walked in. And uh, there weren't too many single fellows and there weren't too many single girls in that local assembly, so the single ones kind of stood out. So I, uh, after a couple of weeks, I asked her if she'd like to go to lunch with a few of us singles. Well, one thing led to another, and I started a dating relationship with her. But on the day that I asked her to come and gather with our other single, single adults, that was the day she fully surrendered to Christ. So she was a brand new babe in Christ. So now I come along, and I find out that she has two kids, two young kids, and she's never been married. So I was enjoying having a dating relationship with her. I mean, who wouldn't like someone to fix you meals and you bounce the kids on your knees and then you say goodnight and you go home. But I knew from the very beginning that there was a longing in her heart to have a father for these two kids. But I knew there was no way I was ready for marriage and for sure I wasn't ready for fatherhood. So I led her on by continuing the relationship, knowing that I was capturing her heart. This is a devastating thing about someone who first comes to the Lord or a, a whole new avenue to experience God occurs and someone or something happens to distract their attention toward God and give it to a person. And that's what happened. Rather than their eyes going to the Lord, they went toward me. I started going to another city about 50 miles away because the, the college and career and young adults group there was passionate after God. I was feeling a drawing to come. I was stagnant where I was. I knew I was in a relationship that I needed to break off. When I gave her the news that I was going to move to that city, it broke her heart. I apologized and did all the things that uh, it was time to move on. So I moved to that city, and I found out a few months later that the week after I left, she went out and got drunk and got pregnant again. And the guilt came on me. Woe to you who would lead one of these little ones astray. It'd be better if a millstone were about your neck and cast into the middle of the sea rather than you defile one of these little ones. I remember I called her and again apologized. And I could hear the distance in her voice. And I didn't know what to do. I, I, I cried me a river. How, how can I take it back? Now she's pregnant again. She won't have an abortion. She's going to have another child. And she was so depressed because of the breakup that I caused. Now look at what I did. I was under such a cloud. But I'm so thankful, I happened to go to a Bill Gothard seminar in Milwaukee. And it was so powerful. It was four days of intense teaching. And on the way back, uh, I, two of the sisters in our uh, young adults group were in the front seat, and I was the only one in the back. And I just felt led to open up to, to them. I poured my heart out of how I've been under this blanket of guilt and shame, shared all about the story, cried me a river in the back seat. 
And I'm so thankful that a word of knowledge came to these two sisters. One of them said, I believe the Lord put it. He's dropped a scripture into my heart that is for you concerning your conscience. I want you to write this scripture down. Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. Because these two passages from the book of Hebrews changed my life. And took me out of guilt and shame. And brought me back into a place of wholeness. Not without repentance. But freedom follows confession and repentance. Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That sister began to apply the blood of Jesus to the areas of my brokenness and then just asked me to confess in those areas, make the confession out to God and have the blood of Jesus go specifically to where that sin was concentrated. So, man, I cried me a river in that back seat and just applied the blood in every area that haunted me, in every area that condemned me. And after I gained a little composure, the second sister said, yeah, and she's the one that was driving. She said, this scripture is coming to mind for you. Hebrews 13, verses 18 and 19. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. So how do we get a good conscience? How do we get a clear conscience? The scripture says, Right here, in all things, desire to live honorably. In every area of your life, look for integrity, honesty. God wants to cleanse our conscience by living honorably. So we determine in our hearts to live honorably in all things. We embrace honest and honorable living. So the blood of Jesus, along with honorable living is a recipe for freedom. And it was only after I really applied the blood in the backseat of that car returning from Milwaukee to Rockford, Illinois, that I find freedom from two years of guilt, two years of heaviness, shame. How, How could I ever get out of this? How could I ever repent enough? I needed to apply Jesus' blood to cover our conscience. You need to do the same as I did. In any area where your conscience is is darkened, it's damaged, and you do it simply in prayer. That's what I did. And then we must choose to live honorably from this moment forward. So man, in in the backseat of that car, I chose with all my heart, this is it, this is a day of salvation for me. I've been saved for seven years, but this is a big day of salvation for me. 
Lord, save me from guilt, from shame. And friends, I tell you tonight, we need both of these. We need the application of the blood of Jesus, and we need an absolute determination to live honorably in every area of life. Then we can have a good conscience before God and before man. And then it gives a pathway to become genuine peacemakers. I like how Paul says in Romans 16, 20, he said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan, catch this, under your feet. Notice that he said the God of peace. He didn't say the Lord of hosts. He didn't say the King of glory, that that's the one who crushes Satan. No, it's the peace of God. And Paul is saying, if we will abide in the peace of God, we will have peace in our hearts instead of inner turmoil, we'll have far more power than all of our enemies. Ephesians 2.14 says, For he himself is our peace, who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So we are to bring Jesus, who is our peace, into the lives of others through dying to self for the Lord and for their sakes. I want you to turn with me to the book of Revelation. We've been doing this weekly and looking at the Beatitudes and seeing the relationship that one of the seven churches had in correspondence to this. So Revelation 3, we're going to look at the church of Laodicea. And I'll read verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich and white garments. And that you may be clothed, and that shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what's amazing about this passage? 
looking at it, does Jesus say anything good about this church? He has something to say good about every one of the preceding churches. Jesus has nothing good to say about this church. This church is in mega trouble. And this is the only church of the seven addressed in Revelation that Jesus had nothing good to say about them. This is scary. This church received the most severe words. They appeared to have all that they needed. <clears throat> they were self-centered. <clears throat> but they were drawn away by the world. The allurements of the world, the flesh, <clears throat> and even evil. They were comfortable, yet they were oblivious to the real spiritual treasure that God wanted to give them. Let's not let that happen to us. Let me give you some historical background about Laodicea. Laodicea was the wealthiest of the seven Asian cities. It was known for its banking industry, <clears throat> manufacture of wool, and a medical school. They had a cutting-edge medical school that produced an eye ointment that was famous throughout the Mediterranean area. But the city had always had a problem in its water supply. At one time, they built an aqueduct that was to bring fresh water into the city from a hot springs. But by the time the water reached the city, it was neither hot nor cold. Their main water source was always lukewarm. The church had become as lukewarm as the tepid water that came into the city. The believers didn't take a stand for anything, and their indifference had led to their idleness. And by neglecting to do anything of value from Christ's perspective, they become hardened and they become self-satisfied. Now, does any of this apply to, to us today? It's good for us to ask, Lord, am I lukewarm, indifferent uh, to the needs of others? Are we really affected? Here's a sign of a hardened heart. Does it really affect us that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that are experiencing severe persecution that we never even think about it, or even if it's mentioned, our heart is so hard that we go, oh, yeah, God bless them. There's no penetration to want to identify with them in prayer. Do we work to alleviate suffering in the world? Are we tender-hearted or has hardness creeped into our hearts? Since the Laodicean church was complacent and known for its great wealth, what did Jesus tell them to do? Buy gold from him. In other words, he had the only treasure that was worth working for. The city was also proud of its cloth and its dyeing industries. So what did Jesus say? He told them to buy white garments from him, which is his righteousness. As we find in Revelation 19, <clears throat> the white robes of the saints were the righteous acts of the saints. Laodicea prided itself in its eye ointment that healed many eye problems. So what did Jesus tell them? Anoint their eyes with his eye salve. 
so they could see the truth of where they really were and begin to repent and change. In John 9, 39, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who see may not see, and those who are blind may be made whole. Jesus showed the Laodiceans what the true value was, and it was not in material possessions or status. The eternal possession, the treasure, is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. These are eternal. This is where our true value lies. Their possessions, their achievements had no value from the Lord's perspective with his eternal life and the riches that Jesus had to offer. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus knocked at the door of their hearts, but they were too busy enjoying worldly pleasures to really hear the knock. From outward appearances, these believers were rich, according to the world. They were content, in need of nothing. That's because they had everything. Except an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And Jesus was standing on the outside, knocking on the door of their heart. This verse is often used for evangelism, saying that the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart so that you can get saved. This is written to believers, not unbelievers. I think it's easy, the pleasures of this world. Money and security, material possessions, achievements. These are dangerous. Because their temporary satisfaction can easily make us indifferent toward God. In fact, we can be serving God and enticed by the world. And gradually cool from being on fire for God. You know, one of the reasons why I didn't want to get married for many years, I waited until I was 41 before I walked down the aisle. Many of my friends that I saw were passionate for God as young adults. Passionate for God. They're for every all-night prayer meeting the first Friday of the month. They're for the extra meetings. I mean, you could see their hunger and thirst for God. Once they got married, they never came. Oh, they're married. And for a number of years, I thought, wow, man, you get married and you backslide. Is that what marriage is all about? Yeah, you're so occupied with the other person that you miss God. I'm glad I married Jesus with the dress on. Actually, she had slacks on. <laughs> Let's not get distracted. We can easily become lukewarm. And I think that there's a number of people that are not even able to recognize that Jesus is on the outside, knocking on the door of the heart because he's not fully inside. What's Jesus asking for when he's knocking on the outside? 
let me in so we can have intimate fellowship one with another. These Laodiceans did not want to be on fire for God. And they also did, want, did not want to reject God and the faith either. They tried to fit in between. They weren't hot after God and they weren't cold toward him. They were somewhere in the middle. They were lukewarm. They were embracing the gospel enough to get to heaven, but they were also indulging in their fleshly lusts. They were unwilling to abandon themselves to God, to really die to self, to fully surrender to God, and yield to the lordship of Christ, not just as savior, lordship. Peacemakers are called sons of God, and this implies maturity. God's children are to model the only begotten Son of God, Jesus. So we need to be willing to lay our lives down like the goats, passing on that dangerous path to be able to bring peace to others. The Laodiceans were lacking in this depth of commitment to God. But in mercy, look at what Jesus does. He provided for them his refining fire. His fire burns away the pride. It goes right after the lust and anything that's not of God. His fire burns away our excuse. His fire goes and touches our areas of guilt and shame. When I was in the backseat of that car, coming back from Milwaukee to Rockford, the fire came on me and it, it was expressed in tears. But I was burning inside with the love of the Father. And realizing I needed his love above all else in my desperate state. Peacemakers have peace with God. They're at peace themselves. And they have peace with others. Again, is there anyone that you're not at peace with? It's probably a relationship that God really wants you to pray into and take the steps that he'll show you to find peace. Peacemakers, they really want to do the Father's work. They're called by his name and they have a growing resemblance to him in demonstrating the character of his son, our Lord, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the freedom that comes in being vulnerable. Lord, I've, I've been in prayer about uh, this session tonight and sharing about my past and my guilt my condemnation, my two years. God, I was 32 and 33 years old. For those two years, I lived in that cloud of guilt and shame. Tried to pray it away. I couldn't escape the thoughts that I was responsible for all that pain. And Lord, first we want to ask tonight, Lord, we want to be at peace with you in every area of our lives. That's the first step 
toward embracing the peace of God is that I need your peace in every area of my life that still remains broken. Healed. Redeemed by the Lord. Are you at peace with yourself? Or do you find yourself condemning yourself like I did for those two years? The Lord's simply saying, apply the blood of Jesus to that area where your conscience is defiled, where there's no peace, where there's brokenness. Apply the blood of Jesus and then totally determine to live an honorable, upright life in every area of life from this moment forward. Lord, I pray that we'd all really deal with guilt and shame. These are deep issues that we too easily have stuffed down. Lord, you want us to be whole. You want us to be healed. You want us to be spiritually healthy. And Lord, I pray that tonight you'd start to get all of us on a path toward a, a clean and a good and a clear conscience before you and before others. That we'd have a clear conscience within ourselves. So Lord, now I pray you'd guide us in our times of fellowship around the tables. Come and be with us in a special way in our times of sharing. Lord, I ask this to your glory. For Jesus' sake. Amen.